Welcome to episode 45 of Mansi, a podcast about magic and its influence on our culture. In each set of episodes, we cover a different Mansi or method of magic. I'm R.J. Walker. I'm a spoken word artist and writer. With me is my co-host, L. I'm L. Alder, a professional psychic and solitary eclectic witch. And we have Spectre. And we have Spectre with us. Spectre is continuing to help us record. Uh, I don't know if he's really helping. He's very distracting. But right now, he's just <laughs> loafing under uh, L's chair. Hanging out. Just hanging out. He picked some tarot cards last time and he's like just recharging my magic. Bones. He's like, that was really a lot of fucking effort. So <laughs> I'm gonna need I'm gonna need more than two K calories gonna, a treat. Gonna need a nap to recover I mean, that. I'll give you back the treats. You're a lot more generous with the treats. I am a lot more generous with them. That didn't even bring him out. Oh, see, he's mm-hmm. like, no. I think it was because of the the train. The train yeah. was rumbly. Inspector doesn't like thunder. Uh last time. We discussed theriomancy, which is the use of animals for magic. We'll be going uh, into a lot more theriomancy on this season of the show. But it's spooky season, so I figured we'd start with cats, uh, a noted symbol during spooky season. Cats are known for being witches' familiars. If you're new to the term, a familiar, or familiar spirit, is a supernatural creature that has formed a contract with someone, usually a witch. Familiars can take on spectral forms or even just humanoid forms just like ghostly Ooh, i'm a familiar but mostly they take the forms of animals an assuming pet an unassuming pet or an unusually friendly wild animal would be suspected of being a familiar much of the superstition surrounding familiars comes from practices of theriomancy since before recorded time humans have been looking to animals for guidance and assistance and we still do today there are the malevolent familiars of witches that are demons contractually bound to serve the witch from the devil. <laughs> Contractual. Contractically. Contractly. Contractionally. Uh, there are also more <laughs> benevolent familiars who are fairies who have formed a partnership with a human in order to guide them. Uh, it really depends on who you ask and when. Mm-hmm. One way to tell if a witch had a familiar was to strip her naked and examine her body. That sounds for, rude. It's very rude. Uh, examine her body for a witch's mark. And witch's marks can manifest in several ways. Sometimes it's like a dead spot on the skin where they can't feel a pinprick, which is just an excuse to prick them all over their body. Sometimes it's just a birthmark. But uh, if you were looking to see if they had a familiar, you'd look for an extra nipple. Because (laughs) if the witch had an extra nipple, it meant she was feeding her familiar from her extra nipple. I have... A whole bunch of witches' marks on my body. So, you know. Yeah, that's from where the devil grabbed you while he was fucking you, according to the Malleus Maleficarum. Uh, I meant my tattoos. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. <laughs> like, I put them there by choice. On purpose. Yeah, if someone's like, what does this mean? Like, tattoos. I have a sage tattoo. Yeah, burning sage tattoo. And my grandmother was like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's white sage, which is, like, a practice that Native Americans did that's, like, smoke clearing. I don't really use sage. But, like, just it's a symbol for other witches that if you see if you see that, people know what that means. Um, are you going to get a tattoo of another nipple now? Uh, be like, this is for my familiar, my black dog that drags souls to hell. <laughs> Serious question. Does it have to be like on one's breast? No, or it can, can be it anywhere. just be anywhere? It can be anywhere. 
That's why you have to strip them naked to examine them. Do you them. think that Patrick Cat would do like a neo-traditional watercolor nipple tattoo? Maybe. Probably <laughs> With not. like a little bit of satanic He probably honestly out. would. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> it would be blue. <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, I'm going to say I'm not going to get that tattoo. Um, no tattoo for you, huh? I don't know. I'd probably get Rocco's face. <laughs> no, I don't think that'd be a good idea. The other night when <laughs> we were clipping his nails yeah. and he just like went after John's finger. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little monster. <laughs> um, in the previous episode, we discussed a bit why cats are so often considered the familiars of witches. Uh, much of it is connected to Norse and Celt- Celtic folklore surrounding cats. We discussed Viking cats, the Skog cat, and the Celtic Kate Sith, and how they bring both good luck and bad luck. Uh, but now we're going to talk about humanity's long history with cats and other mythological and magical beliefs surrounding them. Welcome to part two of Alieromancy. Magic with kitty cats. Meow. All right. For more than 3,000 years, cats have had a prominent place in society, spiritual beliefs, and cultures in Egypt. Uh, They have several deities connected to cats, including Mofdet, Sekhmet, and Bastet. It should be noted that the cultural exchange between Egyptians and Greeks led to a pantheon crossover. The most ambitious crossover in history. <laughs> yeah. uh, Kingdom Hearts. Uh, this, is, this is the second most <laughs> ambitious crossover in history. Kingdom Hearts is the first most ambitious. What the fuck is that? How the fuck do you even <laughs> pitch that? Anyway, um, the Greek version of Bastet is Aliros, where we get the term Aliromancy oh. from. Uh, Bastet is a cat-headed goddess and is the daughter of Ra and Isis. Keep in mind that Egyptian mythology is a bit fast and loose with the narrative as pharaohs would sometimes change or modify and tweak things as like new pharaohs took over. Uh, She's associated with the Eye of Ra, which is the feminine counterpart to the sun god Ra, also nicknamed the Eye of the Moon. Cats being associated with the night and femininity are also associated with the moon because you know bastet is a warrior goddess and a protector goddess she's depicted as battling apep the enemy of ra who's like a giant serpent is like a jormungandr like serpent okay um she also protects from disease famine and destroys evil spirits something that cats are historically wont to do with their assistance in exterminating pests and giving emotional support to humans uh worship of bastet involved a festival called bubastis which was extremely (laughs) popular. Herodotus wrote that 700,000 adults gathered for a festival of drunken feasting. Apparently, drunken shenanigans pleased Bastet. She also has a temple uh, on an island in the middle of the Nile. I thought you'd be really stoked for this Egyptian stuff. I got really excited because I thought that someone responded to our... Story on Mansi, like on our Instagram, and then it was a spam message, so I missed all of that. Because you have a job to do, you have a job, L. Your job is to react to these things. <laughs> that is your job on the show. That in the readings at the end. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I got really excited. Like, I never post on the Instagram, so I just was, like, I just was very excited. And I do love the Egyptians. Okay. Um, they offered emotional support. That's, that's like, two paragraphs ago. What the fuck? He <laughs> zoned out so hard. Jesus. Okay, I'm sorry. We're not going back. We're not going back. You missed it. I put this Egyptian stuff in because I knew you were into it. And you know what? You missed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> While Bastet is the most popular cat-related Egyptian deity, uh, the first we know of is Moftet, who protects the pharaoh's tomb from snakes and scorpions. And Sekhmet, uh, who has the head of a lion and is a warrior goddess and mm-hmm. the goddess of healing. Uh, we also have evidence that cats were highly praised for killing venomous snakes and scorpions before they could harm people. And they became venerated as protectors for that reason. Uh, most, I'm oh. sure the cats were just like, I want to eat this fucking piece of shit. Um, but the humans were like, you killed that snake for me? And they were like, sure. Sure. <laughs> Does that get me uh, yeah. blue bursts? Kitty treats <laughs> if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> Someday it would. Um, and so they're protectors, especially of the pharaoh. In the Book of the Dead, which is an ancient Egyptian text that describes their funerary practices, a very famous ancient Egyptian text tells us a lot about like how mummification works. Um, the protective nature of cats is explained. It's like when you're doing a mummify, uh, you need a cat to protect the dead. So is mummify it like the a cat. Soul? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, cats themselves had a cult, not just like a cult following, but like a literal cult <laughs> in Egypt. Uh, Bastet being a. Pro- I was gonna say, wasn't Bast like the like? It's a cat, right? Yeah, it's the cat-headed goddess. Uh, Bastet is a protector of Lower Egypt, and it made sense that Lower Egypt would be the heart of this cat cult. Uh, three cities, including Bubastis, where the festival by the same name would be held, contain massive cat cemeteries where mummified fluffers have been uncovered. They also found um. oils, cat statues, special cat totems, and other cat-related spiritual items. It's clear that cats and the cat cult were critical economic staples uh, to Lower Egypt. They would breed cats and, like, make pet supplies and perform funeral rites for the cats. Wow. Like, mummify the cats and then... Was Egypt one of the, like... Well, I don't... Yeah, like, with having pets... Were they, like, one of the first cultures that had pets to that extent? To that extent, yes. Because that's, like, a very modern-day, almost, interpretation of, like, how people are with pets. I mean, we have, like, pet cemeteries and stuff. Like, when you take your dog to, like, be cremated and stuff, they have pet cemeteries they take The Rainbow to. Bridge. So we were at Elle's grandparents' cabin, and we just found, like, a wooden box on the porch, like a mysterious wooden box. That had, like, an empty pouch sitting in front of it. And a poem about the Rainbow Bridge and how when a beloved pet dies, it waits for its owner, its owner at the at, end of the Rainbow Bridge. At the end of the Rainbow bridge. bridge that goes to heaven. It's special animal heaven. And then when the pet owner dies, the pet can cross the Rainbow Bridge to get to the human heaven with the owner. And, like, our, like, the cabin is really, really beautiful, and there's, like, this creek. And so we were like, did someone just, like, come onto our property? And 
<laughs> scatter the ashes, scatter the of, ashes their dead dog. of a random dog. Like we couldn't figure out who it was. And we like asked my grandparents and they didn't know and asked like my mom. And it was on like the back steps of the cabin. And um, nope, it was my aunt and uncle's dog. And they just forgot to grab her paws. Yeah. It's like the dog's just waiting at the end of the rainbow bridge. And then uh, they get there and they just like walk past it. Just... Totally space cased it. That dog was actually the worst dog. Like <laughs> no one in my family really thinks that Rocco is that bad of a dog because of that dog. Because she was so awful all the time. Like she was much more actually aggressive. Like, Rocco's an idiot, and he gets scared, so he bites people. She would just bite people, like, aggressively. Anyway. Anyway, they were were probably like, you know, I think we'll just leave this here instead of uh, (laughs) having the whole Rainbow Bridge ritual thing happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, (laughs) got it. Clear the energy. Cats were important to the daily lives of Egyptians as companions and protectors, but they were also important in death. Cats would be buried alongside their people to protect them in the afterlife and guide them through the afterlife. But not every cat dies before its person. At one cat cemetery site, the bones of mostly young and middle-aged cats were found. The vast majority had skull fractures and broken spines, meaning that they were executed by bludgeoning or neck snapping. It's suspected that some would just buy a cat and execute it to send it to the afterlife if With one of their, their late person. family members died. They just like go to Bubastis and be like, yeah, one kitten, please. Thank you. Like that's the issue with like saying that things are sacred People don't really have reverence for that. Like, they don't really understand what that means. And when we motivate everything by, like, what is possible in the afterlife, people lose all their fucking morals in this one. Yeah. Cats were worshipped in Egypt. Um, But as many cult leaders discover, being worshipped is not always a good thing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kool-Aid man. Um, Lower Egypt was basically a society of crazy cat ladies is what I'm saying. (laughs) They were just fucking crazy cat ladies. Do you know which part of Egypt is the lower part of Egypt? What is lower and upper Egypt? Uh, Not especially, no. Lower Egypt is the northern part of the country. And Upper Egypt is the southern part of the country. Well, fascinating. Fucking weird. Okay, sorry. Did you you had to, right? Did I not have to come in with some random fucking Egypt fact? Yeah. Here we are. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, they were all crazy cat ladies, and they just were like, you know, you're better. You're better as an afterlife companion. See you later, Fluffy. <laughs> like what the fuck? Anyway, uh, why yeah. why do humans have such a close relationship with cats? Um, Let's take a quick look at the domestication of cats. Dogs were selectively bred and trained to be companions, sort of forced domestication through genetic fuckery and like intentional (laughs) conditioning. Cats, on the other hand, domesticated themselves. All domesticated cats actually have the same common ancestor, the North African wildcat, which is the one that they found in the cat cemeteries in Egypt, along with a couple of jungle cats. So the Cats in Egypt, like in ancient Egypt, were they like small or were they larger? I mean, they were they were small. They were fairly small. Okay. Um, but even Spectre, who is very Skog cat, uh, mm-hmm. can have his ancestry traced back to ancient Egypt um, because that is really That's where, where the, the cats came domestication from. of cats boomed. Wow. Um, 
So, yeah, pretty much every house cat today can be traced back to Egypt. Cat culture spread pretty quickly as they were also great ship companions in Egypt and Greece like they were for the Vikings. But they truly spread globally when the Vikings started to spread globally with their ship cats. Mm. Uh, human agricultural society meant food storage, and that food storage attracted mice and other pests that would eat and spoil the food. The cats would come and eat those pests, and the humans would show them gratitude. Basically, the cats just started showing up in human societies and decided that they liked us. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just stay. Forming more um, a more mutual symbiosis than humanity's domestication of dogs. I'm going to be honest, dogs really got the short end of that deal. <laughs> Like, have you seen some of these breeds? Like, if there is a god, he will never forgive us for what it's we have done. kind of wild, yeah, that dogs are like, you can trace them back however long and whatever. But cats are like orange, orange cat. <laughs> yeah. We didn't actually start keeping track of breeds really until like the 1800s. Yeah. To give you an idea of how little of a fuck um, we gave about selectively breeding cats. Um, cats just kind of would breed themselves and you'd be like, ah, my cat's pregnant. Cool. Yeah. Kittens. <laughs> yeah, I guess we've got to give these shits away. Yeah. Uh, because cats domesticated themselves, they're far more independent. And that makes them difficult to train, but it also makes them lower maintenance. They can, like, take care of themselves. Uh, it also makes them fickle and selective about how much attention they want from humans. So you could get a cat that's like Spectre that's just a total himbo that just wants cuddles. To be loved friend, all the time. love all the time. And then you get cats like Maggie, our roommate's cat, who if you even uh, look like you're going to touch her, she will freak out and swipe claws just, at you. Like, yeah. yeah, she hisses at you. She loves hissing. She swipes, yeah. She pretty well. I don't know. She's a nasty little Maggie fucker. needs five to ten minutes of affection a day. Spectre needs at least probably two and a half, three hours a day. Constant. That's not even to mention how much he needs at night. Yeah. Like, it's it's a pretty – it's, you know, in our house, Spectre's love is spread between three people. And, yeah. like, when one of us is gone – they they really suffer. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. He's like, oh god. Meow. <laughs> Meow. I went on I went on vacation and he had to have RJ cuddle him, and then he was so mad at me for like a week. <laughs> Just wouldn't talk to me at all. And while research is ongoing, they've noted that darker colored cats tend to be more feral and more aggressive than lighter colored cats. They also tend to not get adopted from shelters as often. The main theory is that black cats and darker colored cats are considered bad luck and so have been spurned by humans over the centuries, making them a little more wild. Mm. The result is that shelters often have special deals when it comes to adopting black cats, such as free spay and neuter, shots uh, for kittens, waived adoption fees, things like that. So consider adopting a black cat this Halloween season. Yeah, and then keep it indoors on Halloween, please. Yeah, this is your PSA. Anyone who owns black animals, don't, or any animals, but especially black animals, don't let them out on Halloween night because people suck and kids are evil. So yeah. keep your keep your love petties at home, your petties. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we've talked about the Vikings in Europe and Northern Africa when it comes to cats, but what about Asia? Just like the rest of the world, cats are beloved pets all throughout Asia. Uh, and there's a few interesting notes I'd like to hit, particularly when it comes to Japan and cats. Specifically, let's talk about Maniki Neko. I'm definitely saying that uh, anglicized, but uh, yeah, Maniki Neko 
is the lucky cat. And I'm quite sure you're familiar with the little cat figurines and statues depicting a cat with like one paw up. You've probably seen them in Asian gift shops, restaurants. Uh, Sometimes offerings of money are placed on or around the cat statue. Because of how monolithic Asian cultures can be treated in America, uh, some refer to it as the Chinese cat, but that is incorrect. It is Japanese in origin, first appearing in the late Edo period, which is about the late 17 to mid 1800s. There is a Chinese superstition, though, that a cat washing its face meant that rain will come. And over time, that superstition evolved in Japan and changed. In Japan, a cat washing its face means a visitor will soon arrive. So businesses would have the cat statue holding its pot by its head, washing its face, because it would attract customers to the business. Shrines would also feature these cat statues as a superstitious way to attract visitors to the shrine. There are... Of course, many legends and folk tales regarding Maniki Neko, and I'm going to retell one of them. Yeah. Are you on your phone again? Guess who wants to send me a message on Instagram now? Uh, who? The uh, patron we just did a um, reading for. Oh, sweet. So, of course, I have to check that. I got to mm-hmm. know. Yeah. It's like, hey um, – I know your episode hasn't been released yet, but I'm actually listening from the ceiling in your recording <laughs> studio. And, like, I wanted to say thank you for the reading. I just said, um, OMG, we did your reading on this episode. Okay. And now, because, see, I am a psychic and I knew we were going to get one of those. It has happened. And now we can hit the bowl and move on. Talking about cats. <laughs> In Setagaya, Tokyo, during the 17th century. I'm going to retell this folktale. That's where I'm telling you a folktale. And the last one was so good. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Ach, I'm the king of the cats. (laughs) It was really good. I really liked it. Yeah. Anyway. In Setagaya, Tokyo, during the 17th century, a poor monk was maintaining a Zen temple to the best of his abilities. He had little help and no money. So the temple was in a very sorry, dilapidated state. A stray cat wandered into the temple, and the monk, even though he had barely enough to feed himself, shared his meals with the cat. The cat stayed at the temple uh, with the lonely, poor monk and accompanied him during his labor to repair the temple. That's nice. Then a heavy thunderstorm brewed over Setagaya quite suddenly. A lord samurai, I Naotaka, I Naotaka mm-hmm. was on his way to go hunting when he got caught in the storm near that Zen temple. The samurai took shelter beneath a tree across from the temple when he noticed the cat sitting at the entrance. The cat raised its paw and, like, waved the samurai over. It was like, come on, come over here. Hey there, you, come over here. So waved his paw. Uh, and the samurai was like, that's weird. Uh, the cat's, ask- like, asking me to go to the temple. And so he's like, okay, I'll come to the temple cat. So he goes to the temple to investigate the tat. The, the tat. The tat. The cat. Tattoo. Right when he does, a lightning bolt strikes the tree he was standing under. <gasps> the cat saved the him. The cat saved him. Wow. Grateful to the cat, the samurai became a patron of the temple, covering the cost of all the repairs, building it even oh. larger than before. A uh, rumor spread, and there were visitors to the temple who wanted to come and meet the cat that saved the samurai lord. 
When the cat died, the Lord had the cat buried in a special cemetery for cats and ordered a statue be erected to Monarchy Neko, the lucky cat. Oh, cute. So it was a little white cat? Yeah, so this is a Japanese bobtail. So oh, yeah, those are they're cute They're typically cats. light-colored, and instead of having big swooshy tails like Spectre, they have little, like, curly-cue, cotton-ball-y puffy yeah. tails, which is uh, very cute. Uh, there's also a similar legend about a business owner who is on the verge of bankruptcy uh, who takes in a cat in his shop and shares what meager food he has. In return, the cat would sit in the window and beckon people inside the shop, revitalizing his business. Thus, cats are lucky for small business owners and those seeking uh, their capitalist fortunes. So you're saying that every time someone told me I should have gotten a cat for my metaphysical shop, I should have done that? Yeah. It would have brought people into the store. though. Yeah, well, uh, obviously, Moniki Neko doesn't give a shit about allergies. <laughs> Moniki Neko gives a shit about making you money. Next time. The next <laughs> incarnation will do it. Yeah. Uh, instead of, you know, the, some some features, um, some of the Moniki Neko-like statues feature like a little solar panel or a counterweight so that mm-hmm. its arm waves constantly yeah. in a beckoning gesture. Uh, I had no idea that's what it was. That's yeah. really fun. I love Come on those. Inside. Uh, later, different colors of Monarchy Neko would bring different kinds of luck. White symbolizes just like good fortune in general. That's like vanilla. Uh, v- <laughs> Van- vanilla. Vanilla Monarchy Neko. Vanilla uh, luck. Black wards off evil. Red is for good health. Gold or yellow is for money. And pink is for luck and romance. Should we get one? We should go find one. Well, I I saw them at the uh, yeah. We should the go back to the store in shop. Valley Fair. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one more note about Monarchy Neko. The Pokemon Meowth is based on it. Yeah. Uh, fun little fun little trivia for you there. But he has a long tail. Yeah. Uh, however, it seems like uh, the Japanese, like the Egyptians, have a bit of a crazy cat lady streak going on. Uh, Japan has not one but two cat islands where the cat population vastly outnumbers the human population. Tashirojima and Aoshima. First, let's talk about Aoshima, also called Cat Heaven Island. In 1945, the island had a few fishing villages on it, and the population was about 900. Japan's loss in World War II resulted in certain sanctions and changes to Japanese society, and the fishing villages began to be less profitable, and people started leaving. As Japan became more industrial, and as the tech boom happened... The population of this island had declined to just 50 people in 2013. So the island is basically a ghost town. Yeah. It's like the island in fucking um, Midnight Mass. Yeah. It was like this dying, like, island. And now, today, there's maybe 13 people that live on the island. Wow. And most of them are elderly. Yeah. Cats now outnumber the human population five to one on Aoshima. Honestly, if I was like, you know, I'm just going to live out my final years on this island. I never have to see people I don't fucking want to see. <laughs> like, I'm <laughs> surrounded by cats. I would be okay with that, you know? But why Why did they bring so many cats onto the island? I don't know. Why? You tell me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, as the fishing industries were being starved out, more fishermen began adopting cats, hoping they would bring the island good fortune mm. uh, and revitalize their industry. Over the decades, more and more cats were brought onto the island. And when and people breeding. left, they would just leave their cats. They would just abandon these cats. 
Um, what? Yeah, they would just be like, well, I uh, can't See? live off the fishing income here anymore. There's not enough to eat. Uh, so I guess I'm just going to go move to Tokyo and work for a company. Um, and the cats would just get left. Uh, Aoshima is practically a ghost town now, save for the hundreds of stray cats that roam the street. Uh, but perhaps the superstition is true, just not the way the fishermen wanted. While Aoshima is no longer a fishing village, it is now a tourist destination mm. that brings people from all over the world. Uh, tourists come to feed the cats and hang out with the cats. Like the island is just one huge cat cafe. <laughs> I was going to say that's what I would want to do. I'd want to go see it. Yeah, in 2018... It was determined that the cat population on the island was no longer sustainable, so a massive initiative was put in motion to spay and neuter all the cats on the island. A total of 200 cats were captured and neutered. However, 10 of them were hidden away by one of the elderly residents on the island who opposed the initiative. He was just like, you get away from from Fluffy and Jenkins and Floofball and Pom Pom and Jenkins. and and Breadloaf and and Taco Bell and Andrew. You get away from them. They are they are special. You will not take their their nut sacks and ovaries. They are the <laughs> this island belongs to the cats, <laughs> and they will bring people back to the island. You'll see the cats will bring the fishing industry back. <laughs> Old Spectre is roaming out again. Well, the fishing industry might have recovered by not having anyone fish there. So Yeah, it's quite know. possible. Yeah, I want to go. Or is more industrialized, and so you don't have so, to live on the island to be a fisherman. Yeah. You just like get on a huge-ass boat and troll and... Out do more fishing than is sustainable, but I don't know. I haven't researched the fishing industry near Aoshima that much. Um, the other cat island is Tashirojima, which has a similar story, except their main enterprise was silk, specifically from silk worms. Mm-hmm. During the Edo period, cats were kept to exterminate the mice that threatened the silkworms. The the mice problem threatened the silk industry so much that it was decreed by the government that all pet cats be set free. All pet cats be set free? Resulting in unchecked breeding and more feral cats. Of course, many of the cats would return to their owners' houses because they love them. Yeah. Uh, But the owners were no longer allowed to, like, close them indoors and keep them as indoor cats. Oh, so they just had to be kind of free. Yeah, they had to be outdoor cats. As the silkworm industry became industrialized and synthetic silks outpaced the very laborious silkworm farms, uh, the island's population began to decline. Like Aoshima, it's considered uh, a terminal village, which means that only the elderly live there. And with no young residents, the village will eventually vanish entirely and become a ghost town, leaving only the hundreds of cats Even so, a vet travels to the island every two years to examine the cats and make sure they're free from parasites. Mm -hmm. Like Aoshima, Tashirojima is now more of a tourist island where people come to visit the cats and feed them. In the center of the island, there is a shrine dedicated to the cats called Nekojinja. While the island was mostly a silkworm farm, fishermen would often stay at the island overnight in the inns uh, while they would just like have fixed net fishing. So they'd put like a net weighed down by an anchor and then they'd just like pick it up in the morning and see how many fish were in it. Um, 
So while their fixed nets were out, they'd like stay at the island. Uh, fishermen, like most maritime folk, loved cats and would observe their behavior to try and predict the weather and then they would feed them in hopes of getting good fortune with their fishing. One day, some fishermen were collecting some large rocks to use as anchors for their nets when one of the rocks fell and killed one of the cats. No. Feeling terrible and also terrified of bad luck, <laughs> the, the fishermen buried the cat and built a whole ash shrine. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the Nekojinja shrine is from. Oh. Um, there are other cat shrines throughout Japan, but that area has a particularly high number, being near the cat island and the cats having been symbols of luck for the fishermen. Uh, the love for cats is also uh, enshrined in Japanese pop culture with cat-themed movies like A Whisker Away. A Whisker Away. Which is basically about <laughs> a person who gets turned to a cat and enters this, like, underground magical cat society. It's very adorable. Oh, cute. Yeah, RJ was like, want to watch A Whisker Away? I was like. No. I actually didn't even say anything. And he just goes, we don't have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just go fuck myself, Fine, man. do something else. We watched Over the Garden Wall, which yeah, I think was watch really good. Every, yeah, every year. Uh, we've spoken a lot about cats and their connections to mythology and folklore and luck. But what about the strange relationship cats seem to have with death? Death. The ancient Egyptians believed they would be guides and protectors in the afterlife. And maybe they are. Maybe cats have understood what humans have expected of them and have picked that up over thousands of years of living with humans. First, I'd like to talk about purring and the superstitious belief that purrs have healing powers. Do they not? That cat purrs can heal you. Why do you think that? Just let me know. Why do you think that? Because... I believe that I learned at some point when I was receiving. So I like fractured part of my wrist when I was younger and uh, my mom is a nurse. And so like we didn't go to the hospital for things because she didn't want to like clog up the hospitals with unnecessary things. And we thought that I'd like mildly injured my wrist until it wasn't getting better. And so by the time I went, they were like, oh, well, it's broken, but it's like healed. So eh, here's some like therapy. So I did um, some ultrasound therapy on my wrist as part of like uh, physical therapy for it. And someone at some point during that process told me that like, Cat purrs and ultrasounds have similar frequencies that are healing. So, yes, <laughs> that is generally the source of this, uh, this myth. Uh-huh. Um, I guess th there is some evidence that, like, you know, ultrasonic therapy and stuff, like, it does work. Yeah. But, I mean, an ultrasonic therapy machine, like, is – very significantly different than a cat. Expensive device. Yeah. And it's not like a biological organism that you can just put on your wounds and it'll just like <laughs> heal them by purring. So you're not saying what they did was bullshit, but just that that doesn't work the same. Yeah. It's not this like a, 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 a ultrasonic machine. It's not the same as uh, Spectre over here. Where's he going? Oh, he's laying on my jacket. He likes to lay on my jackets. I was surprised he didn't want to be on the jacket the whole time. Yeah, well, he likes a little cave under your chair. Yeah, it's safe. Yeah, so uh, I say superstition. It's a fairly modern one that has spread mostly through pseudoscientific internet articles. Uh, the purring of cats is weirdly mysterious. We will admit that. Even how cats purr has been like the subject of debate, with some scientists believing that cats have a resonance chamber existing near the cat's heart. Uh, but most today believe that cats 
when they relax, they dilate parts of their larynx, their vocal cords, and then they just like breathe heavily. Yeah. Like circular, heavy breathing. But why do they do it? Mostly they do it when they're relaxed and happy or showing affection, but they also do it when they're irritated or even hurt. Almost every cat is purring when it dies. Which is, is it like a self, self-soothing self thing? So the theory uh, is that a cat's purr uh, is because they don't like to expend energy. They sleep most of the time. Uh, but when they're active, they have a lot of intensity, what we call the zoomies. <laughs> so it's theorized that the purring stimulates the muscles and bones without having to expend much energy or put them under much stress. It's believed that the frequency at which cat purr, like cats purr vibrate the, like the bones enough to stimulate them like ultrasonic therapy. Um, thus, the purr of a cat stimulates the growth bones in people too is the theory cats purr between 20 and 50 hertz which are the frequencies associated with cell stimulation uh healing of course that's mostly pseudoscience uh while those frequencies are certainly calming and relaxing and can be used with an ultrasonic machine that, that can like do vibrations that penetrate your skin yeah uh there is no conclusive evidence that a cat can heal you by purring on you But it will make you feel better. It does make you feel better. Yeah. Uh, The real reason cats purr is a lot more like what it seems. Um, Occam's razor. The simplest answer is probably the correct one until proven otherwise. Cats purr as a form of communication. Uh, And like other forms of animal communication, it can mean several things. Like when a dog barks, it could be the dog is barking because it's excited, because it's angry, because it's upset, because it's happy, or because it's your dog and there's no reason at all. Um, <laughs> rude, but true. <laughs> <clears throat> Same with cats and purring. Initially, cats purr when they are kittens, and that helps the mother locate them when it's feeding time. Mm. Cats then associate the purring with love and attention from there. For this reason, cats will often purr around mealtime or when they're hungry. Uh, they'll, they'll purr when they're receiving attention or purr when they want it. Uh, they are essentially purring because they want you to love them, which is why most cats purr as they die. They're calling Aww. for their mommies and often their person is their mommy. I told you it was sad. They're just like, please don't leave me alone while I die. Oh my God, it's so not the week for that. I just went through a whole last week of that. Fuck. I know. Sometimes, though, uh, cats think we're the ones who need help. Yeah. Cats are known for bringing their people's gifts, uh, usually in the form of, like, dead rodents and birds, because they think we're incompetent as hunters and want to contribute to their little pride of humans. Uh, And so (laughs) also, like, it's why they meow. Cats don't usually meow in the wild. They're trying to talk to us the way that we talk. It's like, meow. (laughs) I'm doing it. (laughs) Meow. So it would stand to reason that cats want the things uh, for us that we want for them, Uh, which brings us to the final bit of cat magic. I want to talk about cats may have the ability to predict the weather, but it seems they also can predict death. Oh, and I should know, I think I forgot to write this about the cats predicting the weather. They can actually predict the weather. 
Yeah. Better than humans. But it's because they have a heightened senses. Yeah, they can barometric de- pressure. They, yeah, they can detect the barometric pressure with their whiskers. They can smell the um, petrichor Rain. further away. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're more sensitive to wind changes because they're whiskers and fur. Uh, and um, they uh, can, like, detect the rumbling of thunder uh, sooner than we can. So, anyway. But can they predict death? Can they be like, oh, you're about to die? Can they just like touch you and be like, uh, two hours? <laughs> That's but, how much is left. Okay, but Spectre is very in tune with like high stress, high anxiety, and I would say that death is a high stress, high anxiety situation. And so, if a cat is like naturally an emotional support animal, it would probably go to the person who needs it the most, which would probably be the person who is dying. But how would they be able to tell? Because the person who is dying is not necessarily under stress. They're, they're their body quiet. is. Yeah. <laughs> you don't talk to many dead people, and that's okay. But they don't really become quiet, like in a lot of ways. Does does Spectre talk to dead people? I don't fucking know. I haven't asked him. Do you talk to dead people? <laughs> he's like he's weirdly know. like not meowing today. He meowed himself tired in the in car. the car. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Oscar the cat, who is a famous cat. Uh, for he's particularly famous for being the Grim Reaper of cats. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's a therapy cat in a nursing and rehab center in Rhode Island, and he's been the subject of books, documentaries, and extensive research. A few hours before a terminally ill patient is to die, Oscar enters their room and naps with them until they have passed. The center specializes in long-term Alzheimer's and Parkinson's care. Most of the patients are fairly unaware of their surroundings. Oscar's personality also isn't exactly a winning one. <laughs> He's a little like Maggie. He's super aloof, and he will even hiss at people uh, when he wants to be left alone. Mostly, he just looks for places to nap, and that place is usually in the room of someone who is about to die. Cute. He's just like <laughs> Cute. A, well, no, like he's a little death doula. He is a little death doula. Some believe that Oscar is an ill omen, while others believe that Oscar is a feline death doula, Mm -hmm. uh, assisting people who need to pass on and staying with them uh, when they die, just as cats call for company when they are dying. Yeah. Um, Can you explain for the listeners what a death doula is? Um, So there's some garbage in the spiritual life world where people call, like, someone's death their heaven birthday. The day that they is their heaven birthday. birthday. And I fucking hate that. But I do feel like the process of a doula is really important. So a normal doula is someone who helps someone with childbirth, helps them just go through the process of giving birth and bringing life into the world. And so a death doula is someone who helps someone uh, be birthed into the next lifetime. And that's like through a process of like comforting them, um, passing messages, sometimes doing energy work, helping the family kind of cope with the loss and figure out things that they can do to help. So, so yeah, Oscar's little death doula cat. Yeah. Uh, there's a, story, a theory that Oscar is actually attracted to the smell human bodies make moments after their death uh, when the bacteria in the human biome releases specific chemicals. Mm-hmm. Um, that also is backed up by the folklore that, like, cats would show up at wakes and jump over coffins. 
Mm -hmm. uh, because there's that chemical smell of like, oh, there's a dead thing dead here. Dead things, Maybe yeah. I can eat it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, or uh, that Oscar is just looking for a room that is quiet <laughs> to be left alone <laughs> in while alone. he naps. Uh, and dying people tend to be pretty low key. <laughs> They're uh, not trying to pet him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course, all of this could also be confirmation bias for the many existing superstitions regarding cats and death. Mm -hmm. There is no scientific evidence that cats can predict death. However, it stands to reason that cats would, you know, would want us to not be alone when we die because they don't want to be alone when they die. Yeah. Uh, so it would make sense that a cat would visit a dying person and hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's what we have for cat magic. Elle, I think it's time to perform some more alieromancy. Uh, since we already use Spectre for divination, uh, we're going to head to the local cat cafe and see uh, what those kitties have to say. Uh, we'll pick this up at Tinker's Cat Cafe in SLC. Um, <laughs> And I love Tinkers. I love Tinkers. And all the uh, almost all the cats at Tinkers are uh, up for adoption. Do you remember like, George? They, yeah, George. George was a really sweet cat. I know. I wanted your mom to adopt George. I know. He that was, was so great. He yeah. was a big, floofy, scog cat. He was. And he was very friendly and cuddly. Yeah. Um, t but Tinkers, Tinkers is a good spot. A lot of the cats get adopted there pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, but they have a few, like, cats that just, like, live there. They're the, the resident. Cafe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. We'll pick this up there with another reading. All right, we're back and we are at Tinker's Cat Cafe. And Elle is sitting on the ground playing with kittens. And I think the plan is to find one of the cats that is particularly wise and observe its behavior to find the answer, which is the traditional Iluromancy method. All right, Elle has been observing and playing with the cats for some time. Like five minutes. Have you determined which of them is the wisest of cats? I don't know if he's the wisest, but this is the one with the answers. He's a big floofy cat. He's black. He's definitely the the Skog cat, the Viking cat. You gotta you gotta talk into the computer, Al. I was asking him if he wanted pets. He did not want pets. He left. Um, yeah. I'm going to observe this cat's behavior. We have a question from a patron. It's a question from Mason. And, oh, okay. We did his partner's question on the last episode. So this is for, are there changes I should look forward to regarding my career for Mason? Okay. And if I recall, Mason is in the extreme sports industry. Oh, so loud. Uh, so much noise pollution. Uh, Mason is in the extreme sports industry. Uh, he mountain boarded quite extensively in high school, if I recall. We have escape artist cats, and there's a lot of people here, but we're, we're doing it. <laughs> I know, I didn't. This is never this busy. Uh uh, not ever. Well, I'm going to observe this cat for Mason's question a little more, and then I'll have my answer, I think. Okay. Um, update, one of the cats has claimed my jacket. 
Uh, I believe it's Cosmo, one of the resident cats, with his little bow tie, has claimed my jacket. So my jacket is lost forever. L, uh, you, so the, the cat that L found is named Paul Bunyan. And he's a big, giant, floofy, scog cat. He's got to be like 18 pounds. He's huge. And uh, he's eight years old, and he was given to the shelter due to owner circumstances, is what the card says. And he is up for adoption at Tinker's Cat Cafe. I'm going to convince my mom to adopt this cat. <laughs> but if not, then someone should come give him a loving home, because he's old, and he doesn't need to be here with the babies. He's super-duper low-key, but he's definitely the oldest cat um, here. He also bit one of the cats, one of the kittens, that wouldn't leave another cat alone. Yeah, so he's got good boundaries yeah, and good sense of... They were fighting, and Paul Bunyan broke it up. I mean, it wasn't exactly like that, but he was supervising the, <laughs> the one that was instigating. So, yes. So, I think... Paul Bunyan is saying that you're in control. You're the big boss guy, Mason, and that you get to call the shots. There might be changes that come up, but they're totally under your like choice. Like You get to decide if you want to do them or if you don't want to do them, and if something will work for you or if it won't work for you. So look for opportunities that you want to take and be the big boss man. That's what Paul Bunyan says. Yeah. It's, he's going to get a snack now. So I think you should also get a snack. Get a snack, uh, <laughs> break up some fights with some young whippersnapper kittens, and get adopted into doing something great. I would say, I mean, he's very low-key. So if your job right now is very intense, I would say that's going to shift. Yeah. That's what I would say. Okay. All right. Well, I hope that was helpful, Mason. <laughs> uh, we're going to pet some of these cats. And drink some coffee. And drink some coffee. Uh, hit up Tinker's Cat Cafe if you're in Salt Lake, y'all. It's, it's a good time. They've adopted 311 cats so far uh, since they opened. And there's always new cats cycling through that are up for adoption. So if you're looking for a new cat, Tinker's is a great place to go because they rescue cats from the kill shelter and help, uh, help them find homes. All right, so... Uh, we're trying to leave the cat cafe, but the cats are not letting us. This cat has claimed my jacket, and now I cannot move my jacket to leave. Uh, and this actually reminds me of another piece of cat folklore. Uh, there is a story about the Prophet Muhammad loving his kitty cat so much that when uh, he went to go get his cloak to leave, his cat was sleeping on it, and so he just waited <laughs> for the cat to get off of his cloak. <laughs> I don't know what it is about uh, jackets, but uh, cats seem to love laying on them. All right, L. How did you feel about the Tinkers? How do you feel about Al Euromancy? Is this like a valid divination method? Uh, I mean... Like, I don't think it's more or less valid than other things. I like to look at animals for that. But, like, I guess the thing is, is that I'm an I'm a pet psychic. And so I could just, like, talk to the pets. And I'm not sure that the pets know that much more than we do. Like, I'm not really convinced that, like, cats are super divine beings other than they're fabulously cuddly and very fierce. And <laughs> me too. And so, you know, I think that there's that. But, I mean, I really liked um, Paul Bunyan. 
that we selected. That's the <laughs> name was of the a good cat. One. Yeah, um, I really liked his attitude, his catitude. Um, he would not be my friend. Every time I tried to take a picture of him, he left. Like he literally would just turn away from the camera. Oh, he loved being my but, friend. Yeah, like RJ and him were good friends, and I think it's because they're both um, lumberjacks. And Paul Bunyan was like, "This this human understands me." Um, I feel like Paul Bunyan knows what's up. And so I would trust his, like, laid-back attitude and kind of the way, I don't know. I feel like um, some good shifts being in control of your own space is always good advice. But maybe I picked the cat because I feel like he reflects me versus him being a mythical being. Although, like, if Mm -hmm. any cat is full of magic, Paul Bunyan. He definitely was the most magic-looking cat there. Next to maybe um, Cosmo. Mm-hmm. He was a Kate Sith. He yeah. was black with the white crest, but then he also had little white paws. Yeah. And all of the uh, cats that live there that are not up for adoption, uh, hiccup, um, <laughs> they have little bow ties that they wear. It's so cute. You know that they're like the professors yeah, of the other like, cats. They're the senior cats in charge. Um, yeah, I like, I mean, I think that I really like the um, the magic of, I don't know, asking the animals. I guess it's interesting because I would say that animals don't know any more than humans do. But I believe that that's more than most people believe that animals know, if that makes sense. What? (laughs) Kind (laughs) of? Like, when you, like, like, when I do pet psychic readings and that kind of stuff, they aren't really, like, more or less wise than humans are. But I think most humans don't think that, like, pets or animals have any intelligence that way or that they do, but it's very limited. And so I guess, like, I would say that they are magic in that they are more than our expectation of them, but they aren't, like... Like, I don't. Yeah, I don't not, think Paul, like, checked not, in with Freya to see what yeah, was up. They're you not know? basically gods. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I think that, like, all animals, one of my favorite things about ancient Egyptian culture was the, like, crocodiles. Like, they would just mummify all the crocodiles because they believed that all the crocodiles were gods. So, like, I love that and I love respecting animals that way. But I'm not... Yeah, love respecting animals by snapping their necks just so that they could go to the afterlife with you. Like, that's what I mean that's, like, really (laughs) fucked up, though, is, like, I feel like to protect animals, we have to raise them to that deity status. And even then, people view it as, like, this is the thing that that I can capitalize on. This is something I can use. And so it bothers me because I don't think that we need to elevate them, like, so far above us. But I also don't understand why we can't basically respect animals, you know? on the same level so yeah okay well that was Aliuromancy uh, we're going to be looking at I'm going to figure out which form of theriomancy I'm going to write about next maybe we'll do entomancy we'll do bugs <laughs> creepy crawly bugs that'll be spooky um I'm definitely going to be doing an episode on pet psychics for sure because we got to have our friend on. There is some wild shit with pet psychics. We have, I'm like personal, like really good friends with like the premier pet psychic in Salt Lake City um, who one of my friends was like, hey, who was doing um, the pet psychic readings at whatever event? It was some fundraiser and I knew it was this pet psychic and I was like, oh yeah, it's my friend. And the person was like, oh. Everyone kept saying that it was really good. And I was like, yeah, then it was definitely my friend. So I think that we have to have her on 
to have her opinion and do some readings. Yeah, maybe we should bring Spectre or Rocco and have her, uh, her pet psychic, uh, one of our animals. I think that we should have her do Rocco. No, we should have her do Norris, your goldfish. We should. Oh my God, that would be so uh, fun. Norris is thinking if, glub, glub, glub. What if she just comes and does the whole nut house? That's what hmm. we call our house, is the nut house. We have a tiny zoo in our house. One time I had like a virtual visit with my doctor and Rocco and Spectre were chasing each other. And like RJ was like laughing really loud. And she was like, wow, you just have a whole zoo, don't you? And I was like, yes, Melissa, I do. Um, I was going to say, we should just have her see if she can, like, give us some tips for the the general vibe in the house, keeping everyone happy. Yeah, and uh, I'm excited to be diving into these, like, weird animal magics uh, this season. They're kind of fun, yeah. They're kind of fun. Uh, Anyway... Hit us up on Patreon if you would like a reading on the show. Uh, we also give you access to uh, episodes as soon as we're done making them, so no more waiting for part two. You get it all at once, just slippity slap right in your lap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. If you like my writing, you can find my stuff at rjwalkerpoet.com and my new book The Ghost Was Always the Machine is available at Barnes & Noble or um, at Blue Sketch Press if you want to go direct to the publisher. Um, RJ is also really sad because I'm getting readings but he's not getting book sales. So, like, <laughs> yeah. Y'all gotta fucking buy his book. I'm poor. <laughs> I'm so poor. I mean technically he gets the Patreon money but yeah. Um, actually and you guys really should pick up his book like it, it's a really really cool book. It's a very and heavy hold book. Hold RJ gets the Patreon money but also the expense of having to pay for Buzzsprout with the Patreon money. Who pays for the studio? Well we haven't done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> Me. <laughs> you know what guys? It all evens out but I am saying like definitely go pick up RJ's new book. Like for real it's really good. His writing is incredible. Y'all haven't really experienced his poetry um, on the show so you don't know but buy the book and then you'll be like oh I fucking know. I get it now. Um, yeah if you want to get a reading from me you can find me on my Etsy at Laurels of Lux. I'm doing a lot of phone readings recently and getting to chat with all of our cute listeners and it makes me really happy except I'm always really embarrassed when people are like oh my god I listen to the show and I have too many people that I have to remember, and I have no faces for y'all's pretty names, so sorry. But let me know if I can help with anything, and thanks so much for, like, supporting us, you guys. It's awesome. The music was provided by, in order of appearance, Hayden Fulker, Miyu, and Scott Buckley.